All right. All right. It's a, it's a muggy one. Uh, we'll make it through. It's supposed to be kind of muggy all week long, so we got that to look forward to. It's a dog days of summer. Uh, we do want to keep uh, Brother Fisher in, in mind as we go through today. He's obviously he's not up here, so uh, that makes me up here. So keep him in mind as we, as we go through. Uh, we'll be looking at Second uh, Thessalonians this morning. Second Thessalonians chapter three, and it's this is the first Sunday of the month. We typically celebrate our communion on this Sunday, so we're told in the classic passage to look at in First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven to examine ourselves and things to watch out for. So as I was pondering that, that turned me to 2 Thessalonians 3, to look at some things that we ought to be looking out for, things that we ought to be separating ourselves from. So if I were to title today, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 3, verses 6 down to 15, looking at a disorderly, a lazy, and a disobedient church, and how we ought to avoid that. Uh, so I'll read our passage, as we typically do. Second uh, Thessalonians 3, I'm going to start at verse 6. We'll read down to 15 and then have a word of prayer. It goes like this. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now, them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and earn their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this, this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed." Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Let's have a word of prayer before we get looking at this. Lord, I thank you for the warnings that your word carries. Points out pits so we don't have to fall into them. Thank you for the guidance. We ask extra guidance from your Holy Spirit as we look at this passage here today. We thank you for the unity we can share as brothers and sisters in, in you. Guide us through this in your name. Amen. You see, in Paul's day, there was a general ignorance regarding the end times. And that led to a disorderly and a lazy and a disobedient church. And we can very easily fall into that same trap unless we study and properly understand the end times. It's not a popular thing to study these days. Now, I've said it before, and I will say it again, so you're warned, uh, that I firmly believe that you and I are living in the end times right now. 
Anybody agree with me on that? It cer certainly seems like it more and more every day, doesn't it? And as we see in Paul's passage today, Paul dealt with an ignorance of the end times in a very, very firm way. I'm not going to get into an end time study today. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm going to give you is Paul's warnings about the results of ignorance of end time prophecy in hopes that it will encourage you to go home and study end times things more on your own as we see the day approaching. We all agree that the day is approaching. We ought to be studying that. That's not where I'm going. You're, I'm leaving you with the task to do that on your own. But as we do go through today's passage, you might say that it doesn't talk about end times. I just read it and it doesn't really talk about end times, does it? And that's true. But if you back up and you read the context of the rest of the book, you realize that 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are all about end times prophecy. Then, as Paul wraps it up, he says, and it's a general ignorance that leads us to this problem. So, uh, please forgive me for just taking an excerpt from the tail end of the book today, but you know, you've got to start and break off somewhere, right? Uh, so that's where we are. Uh, so let's, let's examine verse 6. I'm going to read it again. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. So here we see that some of the people in the church of Thessalonica were acting in a disorderly manner. See, I think what brought me to this passage is we're told in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to watch out for disorderly conduct, not proper. It's all about how we can tidy up. That's what this communion table is for, to remember Christ, to hold him up, and to see how we can tidy up our lives. We're going to look at that in a little bit. And the, this church in uh, Thessalonica had the same problem. So Paul's admonishing the rest of the church to separate themselves from these disorderly folks. And he's very serious about this call to action because he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's easy for you and I to read that in the King James and we just look, oh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, blah, 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 blah. What Paul's literally saying is, for Christ's sake, listen to what I'm saying. That's literally what Paul's saying. Now, it sounds a little bit shocking, but it's true. This is very, very serious stuff Paul's talking about. Now, I need to point that out right up front. This is a command Paul's making, and he's making it in the name of Christ. We've got to pay attention. Now, when you look back through 1 Thessalonians, you'll see... 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, he's, he's talking about warning them that are unruly. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. And he goes on. But apparently that warning had gone unheeded. The Thessalonian church hadn't done what Paul had recommended them to do. And as a result, Paul now has to tell these true believers to separate themselves from these people who refuse to follow uh, Christian disciplines. Because of that, Paul has to ratchet it up here today. You didn't listen to me the first time. 
you haven't separated, you're still living in a disorderly manner, you're being disobedient, now you, I need you to separate. Now that word separate, again, here's what brought me here today, is it talks about breaking communion. Break communion with these people. Stop doing it. Most likely he's referring to excluding them from public meetings of the church. One thing you have to remember is uh, as you read through the book of Acts, particularly early on in the church history, uh, they celebrated communion every time they got together. So if you're going to break communion with them, you're going to stop gathering with them. That's what he's really referring to here. You see that uh, if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, roundabout verse 11, you go ahead and look at that yourself. I'm not going to go there today. It's warm out. We're going to try and work our way through this. We'll see as we go through that one of the chief offenses that Paul's going to address here today is a lazy, undisciplined lifestyle. A wise man once told me that uh, you can tell a lazy person just by how they walk. Do they, have they even got an ambition to pick their feet up or do they shuffle their feet? If they shuffle their feet, they're lazy in everything they do. And I've never found that to be wrong. Uh, anyway, uh, when we get down to verse 11, we're going to see this laziness described in detail. This is the kind of lifestyle that's in direct opposition to what Paul and the other apostles would teach. So let's move on to verse 7. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Paul's just given a command in verse 6. Paul now justifies this command by citing the example that he has shown when he was living among these folks. I lived right there with you. I was ministering to you. Again, if you look back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, you see Paul praised these folks for following him. Let's, let's back up. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. And ye became followers of us. That word is mimic. You were mimicking us. And of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Paul realized that the way he lived his everyday life was critical because he was going to be one of the examples that the church would look at for the rest of history. And you and I, like it or not, are looking at Paul as an example right now, aren't we? Paul had to live his life very specifically because people were going to be looking at him from here forward. What he preached was important, but so was his lifestyle, wasn't it? Paul couldn't live in a haphazard way. You know that's true even today? A preacher can preach a great sermon. It can be full of biblical truth. But if they live a lazy, disorderly, haphazard lifestyle, it's really not that good, is it? And nobody could ever claim that Paul was a lazy loafer. By the way, next time, if you're following us in Sunday school, uh, next time we're together in Sunday school, we're going to see that preaching, we just talked about how a preacher can preach a great sermon, Preaching is not the focus of church. We're going to see that next time we're in Sunday school. Preaching is not the focus of church. By the way, we're going to be talking about intercessory prayer. That's the focus of our gathering here. We'll talk about that in Sunday school next time. See, I've, I've dropped two teasers for next Sunday school already this morning. So, uh, 
So let's move to verse 8. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. That we might not be chargeable to any of you. So Paul's bringing us around to another point here. He says that he never leached off anyone else. You see, Paul was self-supporting. Throughout the book of Acts, we can see that Paul worked as a tent maker. He worked with Ananias and Sapphira. He worked for himself. He was a tent maker. By the way, that was the way Jewish rabbis were until about the 4th century A.D. when they realized, hey, uh, we, could, we could get paid to do this. A rabbi always had a job. He was a Bible teacher, yes, but he had a job that supported him. Paul, trained as a rabbi under Gamaliel, the chiefest rabbi of his day, was a tent maker. That was his job to support himself. Paul worked as a tent maker by day, probably did most of his teaching by night, which is when slaves would have been off duty. Remember, most of the church at this time was slaves. Now, Paul isn't saying that he didn't accept gifts and didn't accept meals and things like that from people, uh, folks who might have felt urged to support him. We see plenty of cases of that also through the New Testament. But Paul is saying that he earned the bread that he ate. He worked for it. I'll expand on that more when we get to verse 12. In fact, when you're back all the way up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 9, it says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Paul worked long and hard, night and day, he says, to ensure that he would never be a burden on the Thessalonian church. He would never be a burden on the Thessalonian church. That, by the way, I'll give a little personal testimony of my own, is why I have never accepted payment for any church I've ever preached at. I've done funerals, I've done burials, I've, I've done marriages, I've done preaching, I've guest preached. I've never accepted payment from any church. I've always returned it or put it in the offering the next time. I will accept gifts from individuals who feel led, but nothing from a church as a body. That's a personal conviction of mine. I've never taken a paycheck from a church. I believe that was also a personal conviction for Paul as well. So verse 9 talks to us about why Paul lived this kind of lifestyle. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. Why would Paul live this kind of lifestyle? To be an example. Tupas is the word that's used there. We also see that in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7. Let's back up to that. So that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. He just finished saying that they'd followed Paul, and they, in turn, the Thessalonians, in turn, were examples to everybody else around them. So what is he being an example of? What's he being an example of? He's being an example of a life devoted to sacrifice for the exhortation of others. He is sacrificing 
to be able to lift up others and to build them up. See, Paul had every right to receive physical payment for the work of the ministry, sure. But he chose to forego that right in order to teach an object lesson on self-sacrifice and industry. That's what Paul lived for. Paul's trying to teach these folks that they're not supposed to expect other people to take care of them all the time, but rather that they ought to be able to take care of themselves. That's the example of Paul. Back to uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So while Paul was with them, he'd been trying to teach the Thessalonians to be hardworking. He did that by example. His own personal life showed himself to be somebody who worked night and day, he says. He wanted there to be no question, so he lived a lifestyle that demonstrated hard work, exactly matched what he taught. What he taught, he lived in life. That's a firm rule of Christian living, by the way. Don't live differently than what you're saying. Now, before anybody says anything about, well, what about the disabled, or what about the unfit? Let's pay close attention to the words that are being used here. What does he say in verse 10? For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. This is people who are able to, but for whatever reason refuse to work. Not people who are incapable of working. If you're incapable, that's not your fault necessarily. But if you are capable and you're still not working, that's where Paul's got a problem. See, lazy people are not to be supported by the charity of the church. The church is supposed to be a charitable place. We ought to be, of all people, the most generous, benevolent folks on earth so that people turn to us and say, wow, they're just like Christ. But that benevolence has its limits. The church isn't to support lazy people. You see, the loving thing to do with lazy people is to let them go hungry until they're forced to do the right thing and do something worthwhile with their lives. No Christian who is able but unwilling to work should ever be supported by folks working for them. Paul says, don't work, don't eat. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? He's not the first one to say that. that was, Moses started that way, way back. Go ahead and follow that through the Bible if you want to. No work, no eat. It's a common theme in the Bible. Verse 11, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. So now that he's given some general rules for Christian behavior, Paul now turns to some very specific examples that have been going on in the Thessalonian church itself. It's harder to see in the English 
but Paul uses the uh, present tense here. He says, I hear. It's actually the present perfect tense, akumen, akumen. Uh, it means that not only do I hear it now, but I am constantly hearing this. It's constantly being told to me that some in your church are not working to support themselves. I'm hearing it all the time, Paul says. Instead of doing something useful, they're busybodies. They're meddling in the business of others. We'll see Paul talk about this kind of issue going on in Ephesus, too. Again, when we get to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 13 in Sunday school, which will be a long time from now, uh, we're going to see Paul deal with that in Ephesus as well. It's a very real threat to the church today, too. You know, it's one thing. These people are described as not only are they lazy, but they're also busybodies. You know, it's one thing if you're lazy and you're not doing harm to somebody. But if you're lazy and you're undermining somebody that is working, that's even worse. That's worse than useless. It's one thing to be useless. It's, <laughs> it's something else to be worse than useless. Verse 12. Now them which are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Paul and his fellow workers joined together here to issue a command. Paul's got other people on his side. He says, we. There's other people back. And Paul's not the only one saying this. Good evidence that Timothy's right there with him. We're issuing a command in the name and the authority of Christ again. This is very serious stuff. And the command is that calm and with sober minds, they settle down and work in some form of regular employment to earn a living. They can earn their own bread and not constantly be sponging off others. Now, Paul's told them, this isn't the first time Paul's told them to do this. He said it before in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Whoops. And that if you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So, this is actually the third time Paul said this to these folks. I said it once to you before. I'm saying it to you again. Then we come to 2 Thessalonians and Paul says, I've got to tell you this again. Will you listen up? This is a very real threat to the church. Apparently folks haven't listened. So now he's got to be even more firm with this command. And he calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, listen to me, listen to me. This is, this is critically important. Verse 13. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Now that, does, that seems to be a little bit out of place, doesn't it? Now Paul's turning back to the people who have been faithful, the good, hard-working folks in uh, the Thessalonican church, and he encourages them to keep on doing what they know to be right. You got, some of you have been doing a good job. Keep it up. Regardless of what those around you might be doing, stick to it. Do the right thing. 
Yeah, you, you, we don't have to look too far to see people who aren't doing a good job, but that shouldn't affect you. I can all, only think of uh, Jesus' words to uh, Peter when Peter says, well, what about John? And Jesus says, what does that matter to you? Follow me. What does that matter to you? Follow me. See, when we see other Christians take easy paths of irresponsibility, and they seem to prosper as they do it, it can be discouraging, can't it? Right? It can be discouraging. And it can be tempting to just give up and just, ah, why bother? Right? Why should I struggle to work when they aren't doing anything and seem to be doing just fine? Don't give up, Paul says. Don't grow weary in well-doing. You're doing fine. Keep it up, Paul says. Notice the words Paul uses to describe these diligent folk here. These diligent folk, he says, but ye brethren, while in verse 12 he's going to refer, he refers to the idlers as them that are such. There's an affinity with these people who are brethren that are doing the right thing, that are working and honestly trying to strive to encourage and exhort one another, and then there's those others. By saying that, Paul's saying that those people who have disobeyed this commandment multiple times are probably not even genuine believers. If you see that kind of lifestyle, they may not even be genuine believers. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? It's really something to think about. That's why I say this is pretty serious stuff. Forgive me, it is muggy up here. Uh, verse 14, he goes on. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Just when you thought Paul might not have been any stronger in his language, he ratchets it up just a little bit more, one more click, to describe how the church ought to respond to these people who still refuse to repent and do something worthwhile with their lives. He's now given the warning three times, twice that are recorded in the Bible, one other time that's not recorded. This disobedient person now needs to be given a very special treatment if they still refuse to repent. We need to make a special note of them. Make note of them. Make it, mark it down. Make a special point. If the person's still idle, needs to be identified by the church and placed in a special category as that one right there is disobedient. Notice that this is supposed to be how each individual in the church is to treat them. The words used here are all in the singular. Again, it's hard to pick up in the English. The words are all in the singular. This is not speaking of church discipline. This is talking about how each you and I ought to respond to somebody like that. Each of us. As individuals. Faithful Christians are not to have social contact with that lazy person until he repents and mends his ways. Now the goal of this ostracism is pretty clear. It says, make the person ashamed of themselves. 
That's not popular to say in these days. Well, this shaming, that shaming. Everybody talk. Everything's shaming. Something one one thing or another. Short shaming, tall shaming. I mean, that's all we talk about. Well, Paul doesn't have any problem saying this person ought to be ashamed of themselves. If they're living this way, if they're living a lazy lifestyle, just ignore them socially and let them be ashamed of themselves. The world tells us we should never shame any, but that, that's not a biblical viewpoint at all. If there's incorrect behavior in the church, it needs to be corrected. We talked about that in Sunday school. It's not that you're hoping to destroy them or throw them under the bus or anything like that. It's a course correction that has to happen. They're off track. You've got to come back. But did you see something else, though? Goal of biblical discipline is always the same. To produce repentance and restoration. If they are, they're ashamed, they, they recognize their situation, then they can come back. Discipline is always has the same goal every single time. Repentance and restoration. Now, sometimes social pressure can be very useful to guide someone in, who's in error back to their senses. It can be very very powerful. And that's the goal here too. And if they are a genuine believer who happens to have slipped up and has stepped on the wrong way, then they will be ashamed. The Holy Spirit will work in their lives and they will come back around because they will want to restore that fellowship with Christ and His body of believers. That communion that we're looking at here today. Verse 15 just about done, see? Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Paul now adds this one verse in to make sure that nobody, I don't want anybody to go overboard with this thought about discipline. Oh, we're gonna, yeah, we're going to make him ashamed of himself, all right. No, yeah. No, that's not what, watch yourself, Paul says. Make sure you don't treat him as an enemy. He's not your enemy, he's your brother. Bring him back. This discipline doesn't mean that we're at odds with them. We're not supposed to be personally antagonistic to them. We're not supposed to make their life miserable. It's supposed to act as a warning to them. Admonish, it says. That means to put in mind of the truth. That's what this word admonish means. To put in mind of the truth. Let him realize what the truth is. The proper way to walk. Admonish him as a brother. Remember the word that was used in the previous verse that said have no company with him? Have no company with him? That's referring to social contact. Not all contact. It doesn't mean you can't be friendly with them, that you can't still be nice to them. Just stop hanging around with them all the time. Stop having fun with them until they learn that what they are doing is wrong. That's what Paul's talking about. You don't totally ostracize and cut them out of your life completely. Just stop palling around with them until they learn. And then they'll say, well, remember I used to pal around with that guy and he used to be good. I wonder what's changed. And the Holy Spirit will guide and will bring things back around. See, that's always God's goal for the Christian walk. Restoration and fellowship 
in a manner that's beneficial to all involved so that everybody and the church as a whole comes through stronger. Not leeching off others, not looking out for your own interests, but working hard, earning your way in life, and not being chargeable to anyone. Those are the themes that Paul had here today. And if we as Christians learn to walk in that way, the world is going to notice, because that is very different than what the world's doing, isn't it? I don't have to look too far in this world, and it seems like it's more and more common to see laziness all around me, right? Maybe it's just because I'm getting old and crotchety, but it seems like people are getting lazier and lazier and lazier. If we live a lifestyle that's a direct opposite of that, people are going to notice it, won't they? They can't help but notice it. But if we're just ho-hum lazy, we're no different than the world, are we? The world's going to notice, and the church will grow stronger as a result. And God promises that. I challenge you to search that out. But the reverse is also true. And this is where we're going to uh, bring our way around to uh, the typical communion passage here. The, the reverse is also true. If you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, particularly uh, verses 29 and 30. But let's read this little section. I'm going to start at verse 27. It says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, walking in an unruly manner, as you look at the rest of this chapter, they shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. But if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. That's the goal, don't you see? So we're going to keep your finger right in that passage. We're going to back right up to it uh, as we face this communion table. Matt, would you come up here and help me? 